when it came to my transition, when I sat and I looked at the paths and I said, okay, well, that path makes the most sense. Transitioning makes the most sense to me because I am supposed to make my inside and my outside match. That's, that's where everything lines up. I looked at the other path and it seemed like it was a lot more accepting. It was brighter. There wasn't going to be as many hurdles. It was going to be a lot easier. So even though I was trying to do something that was right for me, I knew I was going to have more resistance. And I think it's just really, it's just one of those things where you've got to have 10 seconds of bravery and just step into that zone and say, okay, I'm just going to do this part today. Even when you don't want to, because it only takes 10 seconds of bravery to get one more step forward and you don't have to do any more after that. And then the next time you're ready, you just take one more step forward and eventually you'll get there. My name is Dane and I'm a queer woman living on Wadarung country. I work as the Regional Community Engagement Coordinator for Midsummer, and I'm very proud to be part of the team who brought Pride Finder to life. I'd like to begin by acknowledging the lands on which this podcast episode was recorded, the Wadarung and Jajawarung lands of the Kulin Nation, and pay my respect to Elders past and present. I would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the various lands on which you live, work and play today, and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. We recognise the important role that art has played on these lands for thousands of years and feel privileged to work alongside artists continuing the creative practice of one of the oldest surviving cultures in the world. Always was, always will be. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Marcus, who is a trans man and also a peer support worker in Ballarat. He speaks with such gentleness, although he has been through his fair share of hardships, including facing homelessness and surprising family reactions after several times of coming out. One thing that struck me about Marcus is that he seems to have real understanding and empathy for the people and systems that have often let him down. I think this is a beautiful and all-too-common trait for our community. Marcus's story involves homelessness and some mentions of self-harm and suicide, so please keep yourself safe and seek support if these topics are triggering for you. There's some helplines listed at the bottom of the episode description. Let's hear from Marcus. Hi, I'm Marcus. I use he, him pronouns. I currently live in Ballarat, work uh, with the Pride in Place program, which is really, really cool. So I'm a peer support navigator. Before I was working at Uniting, I was in entertainment for like five, six years. And then when COVID hit, everything got a little bit difficult and my fiancé left me. Uh, I became homeless and my mental health took a bit of a plunge, so I didn't work for a while. And then um, I ended up moving out to Creswick, which is just down the road from Ballarat. Uh, I was out there for 10 months and then there was a major storm that hit on the 5th of January last year and it flooded out most of the town and it made like 60-something properties uninhabitable and mine was one of them. So we ended up homeless again and then while I was homeless, I got invited with uh, a friend to the a place at the table lunch that happens in Ballarat, uh, which is a really great initiative where a bunch of 
businesses and organizations get together and, and individuals get together and they have a lunch and they have a chat and make connections and stuff to make sure that there's enough diversity and and opportunities for queer people in Ballarat. So I was there and I happened to run into another friend who said to me, you should apply for this job. It's going to come up soon. I think you'd be great at it. And I hummed and hard a bit and I applied maybe three days before it was due to close. Next thing I know, I got a call saying, hey, do you want to come in for an interview? And it sort of spiraled from there. I said to them in my interview and while we were getting ready to to start work, look, I'm still homeless and, you know, I understand that that might be a challenge. They were like, oh, okay, cool, no worries. You know, we'll work around that. If we, if we have to, we'll see what we can do. Then I got a call from the social worker that I was working with that I'd been linked in with from the storm. And she said to me, we've got a, a rental that might be suitable. So I went in and had a look at it and the real estate was like, we're not even going to offer it to anybody else. We're not even going to put it on the market. We just want you to have it because... Like we've seen your record, we don't understand why you don't have a rental. So I got put in there and everything sort of fell into place all at once. And it was, yeah. I was very lucky. Wow. So this is all quite fresh. Yeah. It's everything's sort of spiralling upwards at the moment, which is very strange. Um, and I've got a whole heap of opportunities that are around at the moment, which is different and great. It's just nice to, that I know that I've got somewhere safe that I can be, but also that I've got the opportunity now to help people that were in a similar situation because I've, I've lived through homelessness a few times and had it at various levels. I can, I guess I can kind of understand a little bit more what it's like coming in and feeling the shame and the sti stigma even when the workers are trying their best to make sure that's not something that comes up it's just something that's sort of inbuilt in our society everybody sort of feels like asking for help is wrong for some reason whether it's mental health or housing or food help or financial help or you know whatever it might be so it's it's really interesting seeing that there are people that are able to take that 10 seconds of bravery come in and ask for help and I can I'm really grateful to be able to help them do you feel like it makes a huge difference from you having that lived experience yourself? I think it's, it makes me more empathetic to them. I understand a little more the, the shelters and stuff that people go to, especially, um, so I started transitioning from female to male um, over 10 years ago now. And I wasn't on hormones when I first went into a homeless shelter. And the first time I became homeless when I wasn't on hormones one of the first things I got told was we can't put you in the youth shelters because you're too old we can't put you in the female ones because you don't identify as female and we can't put you in a male one because we don't know what's going to happen so no one really knew what to do with me and now I'm finding that this this is a, a really great time to be able to help people because We've come a long way since then, and there are still more options and more programs that are being put forward to help as many people as possible. There is a certain amount of diversity and cultural significance in how queer people need housing, especially trans people, especially trans women, and it's it's really, I'm really 
honoured that I'm able to help as many people as I am feel safe. And so you moved to Ballarat, you said, 18 years ago? Yeah, about 18 years ago. Okay. I was in um, Yarraville, mostly. I went to school in Footscray. Okay, so you grew up in the city? Yeah, for the first for the first little while I did. Um, I got to year eight and then uh, mum got a bit sick and we were like, all right, great, well, we need to find a way to do the best we can to keep her as relaxed as possible so that she has a chance to heal and go through all the medications and stuff. And so um, my stepdad had family here, so we came down and um, stayed here, so we had extra support. So originally I went to an all-girls school. I figured if I hyper-feminised myself, maybe I wouldn't be as weird. So I thought, all-girls school, that makes sense. You don't want to be a tomboy, go to an all-girls school, force yourself to be feminine. And uh, I had a bit of a breakdown in within the first few months of being there. And then I just sort of kept to myself and I got really depressed and all the standard stuff. And then we ended up moving up here, went to a co-ed school. I had no friends for the whole time I was at school. Um, I used to hang out by myself in the corner between one of the classrooms and the lockers because it was quiet and it was out of the way. And no one really, like I wasn't in anyone's way. So if I wasn't able to be seen then I wasn't able to be picked on. People used to pick on me a lot because I had a lot of, I have a lot of issues with being able to form coherent sentences sometimes without taking multiple breaks and having to stop and think about what I'm saying. Um, And at the time I was really struggling with that because I was so nervous all the time. So I would just, yeah, get up and go to school and go to class and then hang out in the lockers and then I would go home again and that was about as far as I got right at the end of year 12. Um, I didn't want to do my graduation. I didn't want to go to my graduation and and my mum made me go. And when I got there, a bunch of the year 12s came over and asked me how I was going and started talking to me and I thought it was a bit weird. But I answered them anyway. And then um, they said that they didn't want to approach me because I didn't seem like I wanted to be approached. And I was like, I didn't really want to be approached because I didn't want to be picked on. Some of them were like, no, we, we wanted to be your friends, but we just, we didn't know how to go about doing that because like you're different to most people and we don't understand a lot of how to do that. We didn't want to ask because we didn't want to be rude. And I was like, oh, okay. So it was just a little bit of a miscommunication by the sounds of things. Two years after graduating, I came out as a lesbian to my mum. Mum nearly threw me in my own pride parade in the street, which was great. She what, sorry, nearly? She tried to throw me a pride parade Oh. in our street. Oh. It was it was really nice that she was so excited and that it was such a positive experience, but it was also a lot to deal with. So I was like, this is great that you're having a good reaction, but maybe we can dial it down a little bit because I was very nervous for a long time telling you. So she dialed it down a little bit. And then after maybe, maybe two or three years of being out as a lesbian, I started exploring gender. And I thought, no, this doesn't quite fit me anymore. So I started sort of looking around and I didn't really know what I was looking for. I was part of a youth group called Zark. And I went on a leadership camp that they had. 
And while I was there, I met a guy who now is pretty high up at Transcend. His name is Jeremy. He had a chat with me about it's okay if you don't know where you sit on the gender spectrum and stuff like that. And he said he was a trans man and I didn't know what a trans man was. So I went looking into it and it made sense and it just fit. So I started sort of dabbling on the internet with identifying as male and gradually went through. And after a few years, I started socially identifying as male, came out to my family again. It was not a good outcome this time. It's been difficult for them to adjust. Um, my grandmother's been surprisingly really good. Mum's come around. Um, my stepdad has a little bit of trouble sometimes, but I mean, it's one of those things where even though I've been out for so long and I kind of think that at some point you've got to educate yourself. At the start, I was very defensive of it. And so if it was raised as like, a, I don't understand why you're doing this, I would bite back in a way that was uh, very defensive and, and probably not an appropriate response. Um, rather than trying to lead with compassion, I was leading with aggression. Yeah. And so that was, that probably didn't help things. And he still struggles now, but he's, he and I currently don't talk for different reasons. But yeah, it's been been up and down a bit up and down my grandfather I was was the one I was most worried about and he was pretty good he won't call me by my name he still calls me by my birth name but he will always do his best to like he he likes to show his affection by having jokes with people and so he'll tell me that I need to go and have a shave because I look like a hobo or he tells me I need to go and get some more you know, brute or whatever. And if he's got any leftover links and stuff, he usually gives it to me because he doesn't use it. Um, if he's got clothes that don't fit him, he'll send them over to me, that sort of stuff. So he's, he's a funny guy and he's probably, probably the one, yeah, that I was most worried about, but he's, he's been okay. It's been surprisingly okay. Mm, that's a lot of, a lot of people that you're having to, I guess, well, people you love and, and you want them to accept you, don't you? Yeah. Um, it's, a, I, it's a lot on you, though, isn't it? Uh, it can be. Yeah. It's, it's, trying to balance, it's trying to balance how far along everybody's come in their journey of my transition with what I'm comfortable with and how I identify and making sure that I'm not compromising myself while I'm making compromises for them. So, I mean, there are, there are times where I have absolutely compromised myself for other people, but at the end of the day, it didn't work and it was a trial and now I know, you know, that doesn't work, we'll try something else and it's trial and error. So, and there are some people that are never gonna get it and they're never gonna be able to come around. Some people move at a much slower pace than others. Like it's, it's, that's their issue, it's not my issue. I, but I still want to make sure that when I'm around people, especially my family, if they're, if I'm going to be around them, I want people to be as comfortable as possible while I'm around others. So, um, like, family holidays, Christmases, Easter's, birthdays, that sort of stuff, it can be really 
difficult and tense and it's emotionally draining like I'll if I go to something like a dinner I have to spend all day preparing to go and then when I get home I usually fall asleep because I'm exhausted and it's a lot of emotional labor but I think that there's also this this part of me that's not even related to any of that that comes into play because I had a really uh, traumatic upbringing with my biological dad and all his side of the family. So I think that I've always got that little bit of people pleaser in me and it's really hard to overcome that sometimes. So I think that's sort of at play as well. But it's one of the things that I've just got to work on gradually here and make sure that I'm doing what's best for me and just being civil. What is it required from you to be able to transition? Um, It sort of changes over time. So at the start, it took a lot of bravery and it took a lot of, it took a lot of convincing myself that it was the right thing to do. Um, Not because I was questioning whether or not I should transition, but because I wasn't sure if I was prepared to lose people in my life. And at the end of the day, if I, I found that I was, um, I was always landing on the same response that if, if at the end of the day, I wasn't comfortable with who I was, then I wasn't going to be of service to anybody else. It's one of those things where you've got to put your own, you know, um, air mask on before you can help others with theirs when the plane's going down. So if the plane was going down, I needed to make sure that mine was, my mask was snug and I couldn't do that at the time. So I worked on it and I convinced myself that, you know, it's just going to be today that I'm just going to do this, uh, or it's just going to be today that I'm going to do that. And that's why I lived online primarily at the start as a male. It was a lot easier to sort of navigate things because people couldn't see me. And I found that that actually became, it was super easy at the start and then it became gradually more harder because people at some point want to know who they're talking to. So they start asking for photos and it was like the 20, uh, around 2010-ish, 2008 to 2010. And so a lot of people were in that video messaging sort of, craze it was just starting up to become a real thing so everyone was like oh we can you know video message and I was like okay and camera phones were everywhere so there was no excuse to not have a photo and so I had to make all sorts of excuses and eventually I just came out and a few of the people that I'd met were hurt and I was like look I understand I lied to you and and stuff but I kind of also didn't because like I'm just trying to figure out who I am and I've kept most of the friends I had at that period. Some of us, some of them have sort of drifted away over time, but most of them were understanding. And then, yeah, as I've got older, it's just taken a little more preparation to sort of understand what my end goal is and where I'm going and what I need. And I think probably the the thing that's been the most challenging has been the financial side 
because no one really thinks about that. It doesn't, it doesn't come into play in a lot of people's thoughts at the beginning, but it is a very expensive process. And I think that being on hormones is one thing, but I would really, really like to get my chest surgery done. It's something that I've wanted to do for at least a decade. And every time I start getting really close to being able to get it done, something happens. So the last time I, I had my savings all sorted, everything was going well, and I just had to make the appointment with the endocrinologist, and then I became homeless. So all my savings had to go to making sure I was housed and fed, and my cat was okay. Before that, uh, I was engaged, and I was like, okay, well, I'll split my my surgery savings with the wedding, and we'll go, I'll make it 50-50, because we're going to be together anyway, so we'll make it, we'll make it work, and we'll make up the money later. And then we just couldn't do it we just didn't fit properly and so all the money that I'd saved that I'd moved over was lost in non-refundable ways like you know put, putting a deposit on you know, chairs and celebrants and all that kind of stuff which sucks but I mean it is what it is and then there's other ways to go around it as well so you can go through through um I think it's Monash has a I think it's Monash, has a, a waiting list for um, top surgery and you can go on the waiting list and they'll do it for you, bulk build I think, and um, their list is like astronomically long. So I've been put on that list before but after a certain amount of time they take you off because you know their list is so long they've got a waiting list for their waiting list. And that's understandable, like they, they've got their own things they've got to deal with. So I'm trying again now to save. Um, working is very beneficial to that. It means that I have some leftover money at the end of the day that I'm able to sort of tuck away. It's slow going, but I've already made contact with a surgeon that might be able to help me out. She's wanting to get me in as soon as possible. She's hoping to be able to get me in by uh, winter. She wanted to get me in sooner, but I don't have the money together yet. And I think at this point, I'm just gonna have to be putting myself in debt. I'm just going to have to get a loan and do it that way because it's never going to happen otherwise. And I think I've been more than patient. But I think, it, yeah, I think transition, a lot of what I needed with my transition was patience and bravery. Because things don't happen overnight. Have there been particular people in your life that have been particularly supportive or you've sort of looked up to to sort of think okay I can do this this is where I'm going I can do this and it's because of those sort of individuals um when I was first growing up one of the people that I idolized the most was my mum and I still do but definitely my mum has been a big a big impact she was in a really violent situation with my dad he he nearly killed her multiple times he tried to throw off the Westgate bridge once like he was is crazy and she would just get up and clean herself up make sure that us kids were okay and we were fed and like he would he would, wasn't allowing of her to work so he would make the money and then he would go and spend all his money and so mum would have to come up with whatever she could come up with to pay bills and get food and stuff so it was a, a pretty bumpy start and seeing the way that she 
never, she tried to make sure that we never noticed any of it. And I mean, it's kind of difficult not to notice that stuff. But at the same time, it's like I, I really respected the way that she was always trying to put on a brave face for us. Um, like one time, Dad got the electricity cut off because he didn't pay the bill for God knows how long. And then he just sort of disappeared for a couple of months. And so Mum would keep us entertained by... Uh, she would buy batteries and she would put the radio on and we would have dance parties. And at night she would put us at one end of the hallway and stand at the other end and we would do uh, maths quizzes. And every time you got an answer right, you got to take half a step forward. And it's because of her that I learnt most of my times tables. So I will never in my life forget that seven sevens are 49. Since moving to Ballarat, I've met a lot of really cool, interesting people that have been, they've had impacts on my life in various ways. So, I mean, my mum's still a big, a big influence in my life, but my sister is as well. She does not let anything stop her. And she is just completely comfortable with who she is. And if you don't like it, then tough, like find someone else to talk to. Like she just doesn't have time for anyone that doesn't have time for her. And she doesn't care if you like it or not. But yeah, most of the people that are in my life are in my life for a reason. I don't usually keep people around for no reason. If they're not serving a purpose, then they sort of just fall out. Going through all these changes in a regional community, because I guess it happened after you left Melbourne, didn't it? So what are the challenges, I guess, that you faced in a regional community? Um, I found that at the, f- at the start, when I first came out as a lesbian, that was probably reasonably challenging compared to being in metropolitan Melbourne just because there really wasn't anything around in Ballarat at the time there was like one youth group that was for queer um, people between the ages of 12 and 25 and once a month there was a night at a pub where queer people could go but the hours were like nine till one in the morning so it's pretty limited and so I found that like I got involved with the youth group's arc because I was like, well, I need something to sort of help me figure this out. And I was able to connect with a bunch of people there and make some some decent connections and do some really cool things, which was great. But I found that as I was getting older, there was not really anything around. By the time I was 25, it had stopped. And there wasn't another one that replaced it. There was nothing there. So the only thing that was really around at that point was a youth group that I was no longer eligible to go to. And the more I was looking online for things, the more I would see that things were based in Melbourne or it was a youth group or you had to fit certain criteria that I didn't fit. And so I started thinking something was wrong with me for a while. It's only really been maybe in the last two or three years that I've started meeting, going and meeting actual trans people that are in Ballarat because now I know that they're around and now I know where to go to find them. Whereas previously there hadn't been anything. Now there's different groups that you can go to and there's, there is still a queer night that happens in Ballarat. I think it's once a fortnight now. Um, there's the trans and gender diverse clinic that's down in Lucas. There's a whole range of different things and there's like Facebook pages that can help direct people in the queer community to different events that are happening as well. So 
Um, for example, Thursday mornings, there's a queer catch-up group that gets coffee, literally just outside where we're recording, and that's a weekly thing. And so I know that if I want to connect with community, Thursday mornings, I can come down here with a cup of coffee or a Big M and sit there and there'll be people there that I can talk to. And that's really cool. I like that that, that kind of representation's around a lot more now. I still think we could probably do a little bit more, but for what it was to where it is now and in the short time that it's moved that far, I think we're doing pretty good. What would you tell your teenage self? Don't give up. I had multiple attempts on my life and I self-harmed for a number of years. And I think the biggest thing that I would tell my, my teenage self was that I'm not made wrong. I'm just different. I try to explain it when my so my brother's younger than me and when he didn't understand my transition and the way that I made I explained it to him like chocolate it's kind of like for me it's kind of like going to the supermarket and you want to get yourself a caramel koala so you go in and you pick it up you buy it and you go home you open up the packaging for what you think is a caramel koala and it's actually a Freddo frog and you go well this isn't what I thought it was and at the end of the day it's not, it's not the chocolate's fault that's wrong, that's in the wrong packaging. It's just a mix-up at the factory. It's just one of those freak things that happens, and you're going to have essentially the same things in both. So they're still going to be the sugar, they're still going to be the dairy. You're still going to have the kindness, you're still going to be gentle. You're going to be essentially the same person, just look slightly different. And the only real thing that I've found that's changed with me is that I have my beard now. And my voice is a little bit lower. But there are other people that think that you change dramatically. And for some people that might be true. But in my experience, there's always been these opportunities that present themselves. And you don't always notice them, but they come up frequently. And it's a matter of choosing one path or another. And you can sit there and look at both paths and think, well, obviously I'm going to go this way because that makes the most sense. But when it came to my transition, when I sat and I looked at the paths and I said, okay, well, that path makes the most sense. Transitioning makes the most sense to me because I am supposed to make my inside and my outside match. That's, that's where everything lines up. I looked at the other path and it seemed like it was a lot more accepting it was brighter there wasn't going to be as many hurdles it was going to be a lot easier so even though I was trying to do something that was right for me I knew I was going to have more resistance and I think it's just really I think it's it's just one of those things where you've got to have 10 seconds of bravery and just step into that zone and say okay I'm just going to do this part today even when you don't want to because it only takes 10 seconds of bravery to get one more step forward and you don't have to do any more after that and then the next time you're ready you just take one more step forward and eventually you'll get there mm.
how did you come up with your name? Uh, so I was watching Rent at the time and Mark came on screen and I was writing down a bunch of names that I thought were going to be cool. I actually had a baby name dictionary with me and I was going through that and writing down names and I genuinely thought about going with Seth for like the longest time and then the more I thought about it I was like, nah, Seth doesn't really suit me. So Mark came on screen and I was like, oh yeah, Mark sounds all right. And I wrote down the name and then I was like, no, I wanted to have a bit more age in it. So I put down Marcus and then when I was narrowing down the names, I came down to three, Marcus, Anthony or Benjamin. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to try them all out. I'm just going to start telling people to refer to me by different names. And when I messaged my friend on Facebook I said okay I want you to refer to me by three names for a while and these are the names and she thought that I meant that it was my full name so she started referring to me as Marcus Anthony Benjamin and so it stuck. You planning on staying in Ballarat? Um, For at least the short term yeah I don't really know where I'm going to wind up. Mm. I, I try not to plan too far ahead because if I start planning too far ahead then plans change and I start getting grumpy with myself so I, I sort of take it, like, one step at a time, mm. just one day at a time. Thank you so much for sharing. I was going to, that's, actually, that's my final question, is how does it feel to share your story in this space? I haven't shared my story for a while. I used to get asked all the time when I first came out as trans. People were like, can you come and talk to us about being trans? And I'm like, I can, but I don't know what I can really offer. I've been doing it for, like, a week, so... Like, let's, let's see how we go first. Um, but I haven't been asked in a while. Okay. I haven't done it in a while, so it's, it's a bit strange doing it again, but it's still okay. I've really enjoyed listening. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've learnt a lot. And, yeah, it's, um, I'm just really, I feel really honoured that you've shared what you've shared. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. podcast is released every Tuesday and Friday and could not have been possible without the support of our local community partners, Midsummer and the Fair of Victoria portfolio of the Victorian State Government. Throughout the series, you will hear firsthand the successes, hopes, dreams, fears and struggles of diverse members of our community. Pridefinder, the Rainbow Road Trip was a travelling project commissioned during the 2023 Midsummer Festival as part of the State Government's initiative, Victoria's Pride. Helen Thomas, an award-winning creative audio producer, journalist and queer ally, developed a mobile story studio with the purpose of encouraging connection, cultivating empathy and preserving people's experiences. As much of Victoria's queer history relies on verbal recount, Midsummer, Helen and the Pride Finder connected with regionally living LGBTQIA plus Victorians to help capture their unique stories. These conversations are frank, honest and reflect the language, thoughts, history and opinions of the individual. Views may not be shared by Midsummer or the Victorian State Government. Please keep yourself safe and refer to the show notes for specific triggers related to each episode. If something in this podcast has made you feel uncomfortable or brought up challenging feelings, please seek support from a loved one or from one of the helplines listed at the bottom of the show notes. 